Welcome to episode 80 of Special Situation Investing. Today we're going to take a second look at a situation introduced back in episode 76, titled Shadowing David Einhorn. As a reaction to recent talks from Einhorn and changes in his portfolio, we wrote that we believe he's made a shift in his investment strategy, one worth paying attention to. Moving away from buying cheap stocks, expecting the market will eventually catch on and bid the price higher, he now seems focused on two strategies. Number one, buying stocks with low P.E. ratios that can produce high returns via dividends and buybacks alone. And number two, buying stocks that are attractive M&A targets on a reserves-to-market-cap basis. In that piece, we spent the majority of our time discussing the cheap-on-a-market-cap basis side of the equation and argued Southwestern Energy is likely an example of a company Einhorn owns for this reason. Our original intent was to follow up with a deeper dive into Southwestern Energy. But as often happens, our curiosity led us down a different rabbit hole to a company that falls within Einhorn's first category, cheap companies with large dividends and or buybacks. Nine days after shadowing David Einhorn was posted, Einhorn's 13F filings dropped. We were interested to see if the position in Southwestern Energy had increased. The results are shown in the image below. What we found was that the position in Southwestern Energy was roughly unchanged, down less than 1%. But on the flip side, Einhorn's number two position, Console Energy, had increased by 50% and is now 8.6% of his portfolio. This display of high conviction was not lost on us, and we decided to research this company instead. Let's begin by taking a look at the company's long and colorful history. Console was founded in 1860 when several Maryland coal operators decided to combine or consolidate their holdings under a single company called the Consolidation Coal Company. To emphasize just how old this company is, consider that although it was founded in 1860, operations of the company were delayed until 1864, commencing upon the end of the Civil War. In the 1930s, Console, or at that point Consolidated Coal Company, almost went bankrupt due to the effects of the Great Depression, but it was able to survive by restructuring. After World War II, a merger caused the company to change its name to the Pittsburgh Consolidation Coal Company. About 20 years later, and in the wake of the 1973 energy crisis, the company sought to capture a greater share of the growing seaborne steam and metallurgical coal market. To do so, the company built what would become the largest underground mine in North America. This mine remains Console's prime asset today. In the 1990s, Console built a business around the long-standing safety practice of removing coal bed methane from the ground prior to mining. Essentially, Console became a multi-fuel energy producer, producing both coal and natural gas. And to close out the millennium, Console went public in 1999. Console continued its pursuit of natural gas by creating a separate company, CNX Resources, and by acquiring the exploration and production assets of Dominion Resources Appalachian Basin. In 2017, the two companies formally split and became separately traded public companies, Console Energy and CNX Resources. Today, Console Energy possesses some of the highest quality coal assets in the world with the largest underground mining complex in the United States, its Pennsylvania Mining Complex. The complex consists of three individual mines spread out primarily across the Green and Washington counties of Pennsylvania. As mentioned previously, this complex is Console's primary asset, producing about 28 million tons per year. Between the three mines within the complex, Console reports coal reserves of 622 million tons. 
The Itman Mine is a lesser asset compared to the Pennsylvania Mining Complex, but important from the standpoint of resiliency and diversification. Development on this mine began early in 2020, and its reserves are estimated around 28 million tons, with an expected annual production rate of about 166,000 tons. A fact about both mines that we were glad to come across is that both workforces are non-union. The Baltimore Terminal is Consul's third major asset. This is a seaport terminal strategically located in Baltimore, Maryland. This asset allows Consul direct access to seaborne shipping routes to export its coal. The facility has an annual throughput capacity of about 18 to 20 million tons. All of the coal from Consul's complex passes through this terminal. Additionally, due to also processing third-party coal, the complex has maintained over 40 million of EBITDA over the last five years. Hopefully, that bare-bones summary of Consul's history and current assets is enough to provide context as we dive into Consul's current state and why we believe it's a situation worth exploring further. As alluded to earlier, we believe Consul Energy fits into the category of a cheap company able to provide outsized returns simply via dividends and or buybacks. The current situation is summarized by Consul CEO Jimmy Brock in the press release announcing the company's first quarter results. We'll read the quote and then break it down. He said, During the first quarter of 2023, we delivered a very strong performance, producing more than 7.1 million tons and generating over $220 million in free cash flow. Due to the strong free cash flow generation, we were able to retire nearly $100 million of our outstanding debt while returning $104 million of cash to our shareholders. The majority of our shareholder returns in the quarter were deployed towards repurchasing our common stock at what we believe to be very attractive prices. As such, we are pleased to announce that we are increasing our planned capital allocation percentage for shareholder returns to approximately 75% of quarterly free cash flows with the intention of pivoting the program towards share repurchases and away from dividends moving forward. End quote. So to begin... By basically any measure used to calculate cheapness, Consul does appear cheap. A simple look at the PE reveals a ratio of 2.88, which is consistent with the trend across the coal sector. Calculating free cash flow yields using free cash flow from the trailing four quarters gives a yield of 31%, while annualizing the most recent quarter's free cash flow of $220 million gives a yield of 45%. In its latest investor presentation, Consul displayed a chart showing that the company ranked in the top 98th percentile among the Russell 2000 in terms of free cash flow yield. With all this cash flow, the company has been deploying cash left and right. The chart below shows the trends in how cash has been allocated since 2018. Debt reduction has obviously been a priority. In fact, from the beginning of 2018 to present, total indebtedness was reduced from about $900 million to $200 million. As the chart shows, most of that reduction came during 2022 when the company was benefiting from record high coal prices. The chart also shows for two years starting in the second half of 2020, the company allocated cash solely to debt reduction. Then, in Q3 of 2022, the company began paying a dividend, and a quarter later began buying back stock. According to the company, buybacks are going to be the priority moving forward. In the above quote by the CEO, he stated that management and the board believe the company is undervalued and that the best way to allocate capital is through buybacks instead of dividends. We agree with this assessment. 
With this reasoning in mind, Consul recently increased the target percentage of free cash flow to return to shareholders from 30 to 50% to a whopping 75% and increased the authorized repurchase program from $600 million to $1 billion. As of the beginning of May, approximately $705 million of the $1 billion remained for repurchases. Given that executive long-term incentive compensation is tied to free cash flow generation per share, we fully expect the company to meet its targets regarding buybacks. So here's a quick back-of-the-napkin calculation for the potential returns on the basis of the company allocating 75% of its free cash flow to buybacks. To consider a range of outcomes, let's project that over the next four quarters, Consul's free cash flow is somewhere between what it was over the 12 trailing months and what the last quarter would be annualized. So that gives us a range of $603 million to $880 million. If Consul allocates fully 75% of this free cash flow to buybacks, that means they will allocate between $450 and $660 million. As such, all else remaining constant, which admittedly is an egregious simplification, they could buy back somewhere between 23% and 34% of the company's current market cap over the next year. This in turn, again, all else remaining constant, could lead to a return of 30% to 51%. So as we can see, Console is set up to potentially literally force a solid return simply by allocating its strong free cash flow to share buybacks. While there are definitely times when buying back shares is not a good use of capital, this situation highlights the powerful return generator it can be if used wisely. If you're interested in more reading on buybacks, we highly recommend you check out the piece by Compounding Quality titled Cannibal Stocks. In the piece, he shares a table that he took from one of Manish Prabhai's presentations showing the estimated returns given a certain percentage of shares bought back. It's quite eye-opening, so we shared it below. A top objection to this thesis is likely the argument that coal companies are benefiting from temporarily high prices caused by supply chain issues and that the overarching trend is a decline for the entire sector as coal is cast aside due to its negative effect on the environment. Firstly, we'd reply by pointing out that consoles' high revenues and cash flows are not entirely due to coal price increases. Volumes have also played a role, as exemplified by Console setting a record-high throughput of 4.6 million tons at its Baltimore Marine Terminal in the last quarter. Secondly, we believe that while coal use in the United States and Europe, well, Europe minus Germany, will likely continue to decline, the rest of the world is unlikely to follow suit. We address this topic in episode 64, where we discuss another coal-related company. We wrote, While many in the world would love to break up with coal once and for all, in 2022, the globe set a new record for coal consumption. And these levels are expected to remain elevated for years as growing demand in emerging economies make up for cutbacks in advanced economies. One is only to look at recent increases in coal-sourced power production in India and Germany to sense how badly the world still needs coal to sustain itself. While coal might not be chemically addictive, the increase in standard of living its cheap energy provides certainly is. So whether good or bad, we believe the world, particularly outside of the United States, will require more coal for much longer than the consensus of Western investors believe. Additionally, there's also an argument to be made in support of higher demand for metallurgical coal, which is used for industrial uses over the thermal coal used to produce electricity and power plants. 
As such, we were encouraged to see consoles shifting both towards exports over domestic markets and towards non-power generation over power generation customers. This trend is shown in the chart below. So we'll wrap up this episode by reminding everyone that this isn't a recommendation to buy console. It can't even be considered a deep dive. But for full disclosure, at the time of this writing, one of the show's hosts has a very small, long position in console energy. It's also worth mentioning that while we like the setup in the coal sector and the tailwinds behind console particularly, we prefer building high-conviction long positions in asset-like companies due to our view that they will perform better in higher inflationary times. For such a company that both hosts are long, check out episode 64 and episode 68. If you're interested in more coal company investing content, we highly recommend you subscribe to the Coal Trader Substack. Also, one note before we conclude. An astute reader commented on our last episode and caught an error we had made in our thought process. So please check out the comments from episode 79 to get the details. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of Special Situation Investing. As always, thanks for listening and reading and giving your support each and every week. We'll see you all on the next episode.